Hello and welcome to the Master of Divinity podcast. I'm Michael Quiman, and my mission is to bring you the best bits of a basic degree in theology to help you learn what ministers learn as they prepare to serve the church. This is our second series on ethics, the first being the introduction to the topic found in episodes 10 to 13. I encourage you to listen to them before you begin this series, but it's not imperative. Um, As always, thank you for joining me. In this episode, we begin a four-part look at ethics and the body, often called bioethics, the application of moral principles to human health. I'm going to begin in the Bible and draw a thumbnail sketch of the many ways the human body is presented in Scripture. We will scratch the surface in terms of ethical theory, choosing instead to ground ourselves in how the body is portrayed and considered. Episode 2 in this series will scan the history of bioethics from Hippocrates to Vatican II, with time also dedicated to the United Church of Canada's positions on the topic. Episode 3 has the rather banal title, Ethical Topics 1, and we'll look at the beginning of life, uh, including the abortion debate and human sexuality. Our final episode will complete the circle of life, uh, looking at health policy, issues around aging, and death, including euthanasia. So where to begin? Well, we should start on either day one of creation or day six. And since the author began with the day six account, uh, we will too. To quote, So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So what have we learned about our bodies so far? First, we're created in the image of God, both male and female created in the image of God. I'd like to tell you that a detailed word study and a look at the original Hebrew reveals what God looks like, but I cannot. The word for image, salem, just means image. It's not a common noun, but each use brings us back to the word image. In other words, if you want to see the image of God, look in a mirror. Both male and female can look in a mirror and see an image of God. It sort of defeats the old man on a throne idea, leaving us instead with something to ponder. We're made in God's image, but we're not God. So, thanks be to God. We can see God in others, but they're not God either, since we know what they and we are capable of, and it's often far from divine. So, what do you think it means to be made in God's image? If you wish, you can uh, pause for a moment and discuss. The next verse in Genesis 1 uh, God blessed us and commanded us to be fruitful and multiply, something that over 7 billion humans can confirm. The verse continues with the now controversial topic of dominion, something that's beyond the scope of our study. 
There is, however, a link between human reproduction and sustainability, something we may get to by the fourth episode in this series. Genesis begins with the day six account, but then posits another account of creation, this time with humans appearing on day one. Uh, It reads, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth, and the whole face, and the water covered the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. In many ways, this is the more familiar of the two accounts. The first account reads like it was written by lawyers, obviously were created first then, uh, while the second account has a more narrative quality to it, a story told around a campfire with lots of detail, a problem to be solved, and an inventive beginning. First, we are dust, uh, spoiler alert, here with the dust, we'll come back to it, uh, and then we receive the breath of life, literally God's spirit, breath. Notice, too, that We are made for a purpose, to till the ground and to be partners in this creation. Later, this labor would become punitive, but for now, we're just there to help. And just when you thought this account would be free from lawyers, God speaks. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Obviously, we know the end of the story, making this a significant moment. What is surprising is how quickly the first law comes. Even before the first man has an unindicted co-conspirator, there's trouble in the text. Just by making that first law, the tension rises, and everyone sitting around the campfire knows where this story is headed. And I should say a word about the campfire itself. You may recall from a previous study that I have a theory about the mythic material found in the Bible. We know that the world was not made in six days, so we are left to decide what to do with this material. We can't ignore it because it's scripture, meaning that God inspired these words for our use. They contain truth for us, even if they're not factual. So I prefer to think of them as stories told to help us understand the Most High and to understand ourselves. They are responses to the kinds of questions a child might ask around a campfire. For example, how was the world made? Who were the first humans? Why do we die? And it's this last question that we now turn, uh, picking up the story in Genesis 2. It says, the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal in the field, but for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. As much as the un 
unfolding story seems a little less legalistic in tone, it comes with its own issues. First, uh, women are created as helper and partner, secondary to the men in this telling. Before, men and women were created equal, made at the same instant and in the image of God, and now the woman is an afterthought, uh, the solution to a problem and not an independently created being. So, uh, what do you think are the implications of this second version? Uh, Take a moment to discuss, if you wish. Back when I was young, I I took an introduction to the Old Testament uh, course at York University. And starting in September, we were still in Genesis at the beginning of March. Uh, We won't make that mistake here. Uh, But we're not done with this book yet, because there will be more drama in the garden. So what happens? Well, uh, Eve meets an opinionated snake. The snake disputes God's first law. Eve eats the fruit that's pleasing to the eye. Eve gets wisdom, shares the fruit with Adam. Uh, The clothing industry begins. Uh, God asks the obvious question, did you eat? Uh, And God curses the snake. Uh, and, And then we pick up the narrative again. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, uh, saying you shall not eat it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust and to the dust you shall return. Again, these are simple answers to complex questions, and the shadow side of taking the Bible literally emerges. Blame rests squarely on the woman, and her afterthought status is now active punishment, increased pain in labor, and the curse of patriarchy. As the man gets, all the man gets is hard labor, something that he had already. They are equal, however, in death. Uh, You are dust, God says, and to the dust you shall return. The reason we begin here is threefold. Uh, To consider our createdness and the extent to which we are created in the image of God, uh, to uncover some foundational issues that will appear in later episodes, particularly those related to gender inequality, and recall that death is divine legislation. All of us go down to the dust. How God ends death, then, is theological and not biological. Genesis provides some background on this death problem, but it remains the way of all flesh. And we'll pick up this topic again in our fourth episode of this series. So, do you find it helpful to remember these stories from Genesis? Take a moment to discuss if you wish. We're going to shift gears here and venture into the law, the 613 commandments found in the Torah, the first five books. 
Beginning in late antiquity, the 3rd century CE, rabbis and scholars began to collect sermons and scholarly debates related to the Torah. The Talmud was the result, and it runs to thousands of pages and includes efforts to codify or organize laws found in Scripture. This effort continued into the Middle Ages with the great Maimonides creating what is considered the definitive list. The 613 commandments are broken down in various ways, uh, positive commandments to do something and negative commandments to refrain from doing something. Some relate to the commemoration of events. Some are bound to the temple, which was destroyed in 70 CE, and some labeled manifestations of the divine will, Shakim, because they are beyond human understanding. Many, of course, relate to the body, what to do and what not to do. Some relate to ritual, like our first example from uh, Leviticus 12, 3, to circumcise all males on the eighth day after their birth. Um, we could spend the rest of the episode just right here looking at issues of ethnicity and conversion, St. Paul's idea of the circumcision of the heart, uh, or, or we could take a modern look and look at the ethical implications of a procedure like circumcision that's often performed outside of the requirements of Judaism. Many of the laws uh, we find are practical uh, and rather modern considering the implications, and some are just polite. Some examples, all from Leviticus 18 and numbered as 187 to uh, 206, I'll share them with you. Uh, Do not have sexual relations with your mother, father, father's wife, sister, father's wife's daughter, son's daughter, your daughter, your daughter's daughter, father's sister, father's brother's wife, father's brother, son's wife, brother's wife, a woman and her daughter, a woman and her son's daughter, a woman and her daughter's daughter, your wife's sister, a woman who is menstrually impure, or someone else's wife. Um, any any thoughts on this list? Um, you probably don't need to take any time. Okay, before we leave the 613 laws, we should look at one or two that have some bearing on the New Testament and the story of Jesus. Um, Consider Leviticus 12, verse 6. And when the days of her purification are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering unto the door of the tent of meeting unto the priest. Now, anyone who's ever attended worship around Christmas knows uh, Mary and Joseph uh, present Jesus in the temple and make an offering prescribed for those of humble means. And this is the first reminder that Jesus is a good Jew and follows the law uh, until he becomes a reformer later in life. Still a Jew, but a reformer. And this reform agenda will keep coming up in his teachings, including healing on the Sabbath and the discussion around seven brides for one brother found in Mark 12, also Matthew 22 and Luke 20. 
In the end, Jesus scolds the Sadducees uh, and gives a new teaching about the hereafter. He says, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Any bridge from the 613 commandments to the New Testament would not be complete without a look at healing. Number 439 on the list requires that someone with a skin disease must present themselves for inspection, returning until the condition has passed. Then they must have a, a ritual bath, a mikvah, uh, and make an appropriate offering. And we get a look at this in Matthew 8. Jesus came down from the mountainside. Large crowds followed him. A man who had a skin disease came and got down on his knees in front of Jesus. He said, Lord, if you are willing to make me clean, you can do it. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing to do it, he said. Be clean. Right away the man was healed of his skin disease. Then Jesus said to him, Don't tell anyone. Go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded. It will be a witness to everyone. Note that Jesus only speeds up the process. He doesn't interfere with the requirements of the law. His healing ministry is a mixture of compassion and a series of object lessons demonstrating the power of God for those with eyes to see and ears to hear. Can you think of all the healings? Well, I've compiled a list. Uh, Heals an evil spirit. Heals sick with fever. Uh, Many sick and oppressed are healed. Heals a leper. Heals a paralyzed servant. Uh, Paralytic is lowered through the roof. Heals someone with a withered hand. Heals the widow's son. Uh, actually raised from the dead, uh, demons into pigs, uh, a woman with an issue, Jairus's daughter raised, uh, two blind men healed, uh, a mute healed, an official son healed, uh, healing an invalid at Bethesda, uh, uh, many sick at Gennesaret, a demon-possessed daughter, a deaf and dumb man, a blind man at Bethsaida, a man born blind, the one with the spittle, wonderful story, unclean spirit, healing the blind and mute demon-possessed person, a woman crippled for 18 years, a man with dropsy on the Sabbath, healing 10 lepers, raises Lazarus from the dead, blind Bartimaeus, and healing the servant's severed ear. That's in Luke 22. So much free health care. Jesus is practically Canadian. Um, we we could add to this list uh, Jesus' concern for those consumed by anxiety. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Have that tattooed somewhere on you. And uh, those the world would condemn, uh, the woman caught in adultery. Uh, you get a sense here that the ministry of healing is never-ending. Indeed, even at the very end, he's healing the servant's severed ear, remember from Luke 22, uh, at the moment of his arrest, and comforting a thief later beside him on the cross. 
To conclude this episode, I, I want to share with you one more scripture passage, a selection from uh, Psalm 139. It is the psalmist's homily to the body, a meditation on belonging to God. It says in a few lines what most of us struggle to say in a lifetime of writing about God, and it begins like this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If my if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame is not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So thank you for uh, joining me uh, next week, episode two of our course on ethics and the body. Thanks again.